Welcome to another episode of Cyber Coast to Coast. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Craig Schober, and I'm hailing from the West Coast in Long Beach, California, and I'm joined by my brother, Scott. Hey, Scott, how you doing? Hey, how's it going there, everybody? Great to be with you there, Craig. Good to have you and good to be back for another uh, great episode. Uh, quick rundown. We got three uh, solid stories, uh, one involving uh, Samsung data breach. Uh, one is uh, looks like Anonymous is added again with the uh, Russian hacking and the Ukraine war. And uh, third story is uh, kind of uh, three cybersecurity company companies do well and uh, provide some free services to our most vulnerable infrastructure. So we'll get into all those great stories. Um, but first, uh, just wanted to uh, mention that this episode is brought to you by Cyberlytica and they provide proactive cybercrime intelligence. And you can learn all about their services at uh, cyberlytica.com. Um, before we get into the first story, uh, maybe we want to start out with our kind of cyber tip of the week and discuss something that hit us personally as a company. Uh, you know more about this, Scott, uh, than I do, so you can take over. Uh, but I just, you know, just wanted to introduce it as a, a kind of a ID spoofing email threat that we're all vulnerable to, and um, uh, it involved our our sales force and our resellers. So what, you know, what quickly, kind of what what happened there. This, this was an interesting one, and it caught me a little off guard because it seemed so real. I received several emails from different resellers, all within a very short period of time, within about an hour. And they were all asking, is this you, Scott? Are you really asking me about this? And interestingly enough, the email said something to the effect of, um, hope you're doing well and had, you know, very, very um, soft language in the beginning that sounded like it was me talking to them kind of, how are you doing this and that breaking down the, the, the barriers, like, you know, somebody close. And then they said, I need you to do me a really big favor. I need to purchase some equipment and I need you to, to do me a favor and help with the wire transfer part of it. And if you could pay, you know, receive this money and then pay out some money, but keep a portion of it for yourself and help me out, it would be, uh, you know, it'll be a big favor and I'll take care of you later kind of thing, which is, well, number one, I wouldn't do that with my resellers, try to use them to leverage something to, to do something. It sounded very, to me, very sketchy, but for somebody receiving it, it sure did sound convincing. And it looked like it came from me because they spoofed my name, my signature, um, and sometimes I always look for little nuances and tell people to do this. And the part that was interesting is we just put up recently that we're celebrating our 50 years as a company. And there's a little logo on our website. They actually went on our website. They extracted that and they embedded it into my signature. And instead of my actual email address, they created one that would seem like it would be a legitimate email address. And it was simply my name, Scott Schober at bvsystems.com, which right. is not a valid email address for me. Right. The domain, However, it's a BV Systems domain exactly. is valid, but the name, the nomenclature wasn't. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if, you, if you were a reseller and you received that, you would think, 
well, it says his name in BB Systems. They may not even notice that that's not my real email address because it's my real name and it's a real company mm. and so that's the correct domain, so on and so forth. Very convincing. And my signature, everything was the same, except they changed my, they changed it to this spoof, this fake email address. And then they use this new logo. So if you read it, you say, wow, the good news is we have very intelligent distributors and resellers around the globe and they're savvy, they're cyber savvy, and they questioned it. Mm -hmm. And I thanked them for that. They reached out to me and they wrote to the email for me that they actually have on file. And in a few cases, some of them I know close enough because I visited them in their country or they've been out here and we've spent time together, had a meal together, and they have my personal email. And they reached out. And I think in one case, I even received a text. So some, one of the resellers has my um, cell phone number. So I, I want, first of all, I want to say thank you. Th that's a good example of what to do if you receive an email and you're just not 100% sure if it's legit. Mm -hmm. Because they could have so easily said, well, hey, okay, it's a lot of money, $39,000. But in the, the way it looks is they'll make about four to $5,000 profit if they just help you know, you know, the, the, this company, Berkeley Veritronics out, Scott Schober, help them out. So tr total scam, um, very annoying. So I had to alert my distributors around the globe to be uh, aware of this so they don't fall victim. You, you think the dust settles then. Uh, just yesterday, I received yet another one. This one was slightly different. It didn't have the same logo embedded in my signature. And it was, again, a spoofed email. So it appeared it came from my actual email, which is scott at bvsystems.com. But if you go in and do the, you know, if you actually look at the raw headers and search it and see where it actually originated from, it is not from, from our domain or anything else. It was just a, simply a spoofed email and a poor attempt to spoof um, my signature and the content, again, was trying to get them to get on WhatsApp and have a conversation about some help that I needed. So they were probably trying to get them, lure them in to get some personal information right. or get them to transfer money or something like that. I don't know, because obviously it stopped right there. But of course, I reached out to the actual hackers and I'm waiting for a response to let them know, <laughs> hey, I'm on to them. I now I know their email. I know their IP address. I know some stuff about them and I'm reporting them to the authorities. And, and suddenly it went quiet as usual. They run and move on. To right, the right. That that reminds me of the, um, you know, the classic Nigerian scams. They, yeah. they, they, you know, they kind of start out. It feels like when you when you analyze them from afar, at least it looks like, oh, it's a phishing attack of some sort. But they mm -hmm. really don't put links in there. What they do is end up saying, can you help me move a large sum of money over? And in return, I'll give you a slightly smaller sum. And they kind of play on people's greed mm -hmm. and um so it's really it's really turns into a socially engineered attack because what they do is they develop a correspondence with their victims and they go back and forth and back and forth and play on their emotions and um kind of reminds me of this this great show i saw once uh called uh the nigerian spam scam scam <laughs> it's uh this guy is he's an actor He's been on a bunch of, uh, you know, American movies, a bunch of comedies and stuff, kind of plays a goofball, but he's pretty smart. If you've seen him in interviews, uh, his name is actor called Dean Cameron, mm -hmm. and he wrote this play and the play is based on his actual um, uh, inter inter exchanges with uh, a, a genuine Nigerian scam that he got in the email and he went and this lasted for years. He he corresponded back and forth with them. 
and I can't, I can't get, there's so many twists and turns in the story. <laughs> you just have to look out for this yourself and watch it. I think it might be on YouTube still, That's great. but it's yeah. a great rental. It's a great way to learn about just how far uh, scammers are willing to go to play a role and, you know, and just how far this guy was willing to pretend to be a victim and scam them in return. And, it, you know, a lot of, a lot of great back and forth. Uh, wow. Maybe they'll make a, you know, a, a, a dramatic uh, fiction movie based on, you know, based on that someday it would be fun to watch too. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I guess the, the takeaway from this for our listeners is a lot of times within your immediate network, within your organization, it's pretty safe to say you can trust your employees. You'll communicate, you'll run down to the office and say, Hey, did you send this? Are you asking for a wire transfer? This, that more than likely you're going to do that. However, you got to also think outside of your immediate walls and your facility Think about your partners, your vendors, your resellers, your distributors. Make sure that everybody that you're uh, working with in business is also cyber savvy and feels comfortable enough to pick up the phone, to send you an email, to double check things before they step over that line and wire transfer any money or anything like that. And that, that kind of was a standout after dealing with this firsthand just over the past two weeks of having two hacking attempts that, that were made. Um, and unfortunately, I would be the conduit or supposedly the conduit without me even knowing it. If they didn't point this out, they may have been duped, wire transferred money, been scammed. And now I have my name associated to it. In their mind, they'd be a little bitter at me, maybe, even though I've never seen it. I, I'm not party to, to the emails. It's only because they shared it with me that I realized. So what, what a deceiving uh, cyber criminal. And they were they're pretty crafty there. So everybody be on the lookout and uh, ask, ask those questions to your trusted uh, partners and distributors and employees, everyone. All right. Good word of advice. Um, on to our first story. Um, Samsung confirms data breach after hackers leak internal source code. Uh, this one came from TechCrunch, mm -hmm. but you might see it around. I think I saw it on The Verge also and other tech blogs because you know there's so many samsung devices out there so many samsung users that it really does affect a, a giant uh, portion of the internet users and population at large a um, couple key points out of the story i noticed uh I, I don't know maybe you've come across this group lapsus with a dollar mm -hmm. sign at the end they're a hacking group they're the ones that claim responsibility um there's not much not getting much in the way of anything beyond the formal statements from Samsung. So it's not clear if uh, they can confirm that Lapsus is that with some kind of, you know, a lot of the times these groups put in these little codes and little messages and stuff that really link them to past crimes, past hacking endeavors. And so you could kind of connect the dots and, you know, determine, yeah. oh, these guys are definitely there and they're based in, I don't even actually know where they're, they're based out of. Um, but I think Samsung issued their standard thing. You know, it they didn't they didn't uh, see any impact to our business or customers. So it wasn't a it wasn't kind of a forward facing hack that's going to hack customers' personal info. It was more of a back end thing. Uh, but it did involve uh, some biometric um, mm -hmm. data uh, that Samsung stores, I guess, locally on the phone. Um, uh, a boot, what is it, a bootloader source code I'm seeing uh, on, involving their smartphones and their tablets. And it was uh, about 190 gigs of data. So pretty substantial. I don't know. 
I don't know how much data is stored per per user or per device that would amount to so so many gigs of data being stolen, but it that's it's got to affect uh, a lot of uh, models and devices, I would think, considering it's so big. Um, and also, uh, apparently, this this group Lapsus was also behind the uh, an, an Nvidia hack on yeah. the you know the popular like a terabyte they stole right of, of data. Yeah, they demanded a, a cryptocurrency from from a payment from Nvidia, but I couldn't find if Nvidia ever paid that. So hopefully they didn't, and they're holding out and and figured a way around it. I don't know. What are your uh, well, what are your well, thoughts thing, on this group? I, I, I have heard about uh, lapses before, um, and, and just to point out, which I think is kind of interesting, the the natural assumption we probably all make is, oh, they're probably from Russia. Well, in this case, they're actually, a, a, they're newer to the game and they're a Brazilian hacking group, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of interesting, which is showing um, there's an international appeal for cyber criminals and hackers. Now, that being said, many of these large hacking rings, what I'm finding is the, 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 the headquarters, let's say, does originate out of Russia where the actual coding is written where the malware is authored. And then what they're doing is they're distributing it. They've actually got an efficient network to distribute it to partners and other hacking groups in different countries, such as this country. So it may have been written initially, the malware and and, and the hack uh, kind of originated out of Russia, but it was launched by this Brazilian hacking group when they trace it back. Mm -hmm. But I just find it kind of interesting how it's not always just everybody always here, at least in the United States, I often hear, oh, it's probably China, it's probably Russia. Well, not necessarily. Um, Cyber criminals are global. It's a global enterprise. They're spreading out their footprint. They're getting more efficient. um, And they reuse a lot of the code that, yes, originally it was written in Russia, Mm -hmm. just just as a clarification point there. But from the sheer amount of... um, information that's stolen here yeah it's a lot it's not that big a deal but when, when it's tied into what you talked about that the algorithms for biometric unlock operations that's really scary and maybe even more so that the, the the bootloader source code for for some of the tablets and the smartphones that that's scary and even it mentioned some of the source code for for qualcomm one of the largest chip makers they've got tons of intellectual property tied to pretty much everybody's smartphone. If you have a smartphone, there's probably either chipsets in there from Qualcomm or there's a license for their intellectual property in there. I could almost guarantee it. So um, it's amazing how far far this, this reach is and how dangerous it is because we, we assume that when we lock our phones, be it with a passcode, facial recognition, some type of bio, biometric un- unlocking, it's 100% safe. Guess what? Not necessarily. So a lot of caution has to be put out there because the, you know uh, what they could do with this is, is, is untold damage. Mm. Yeah, and I believe besides iPhone, I could be wrong on this. I think Samsung is the only other smartphone maker, or at least large smartphone maker that does a, a true kind of end-to-end encryption on device. In other words, they don't, they have, there's certain data sets. Yeah. That's going to communicate to the cloud. And that's just, that's the way it has to go for certain services, but there are other basic kind of secure services. I think it's, I think they call it Fort Knox or something like that. And it's their own version 
of what iPhone has touted for years as being the most secure, you know, what happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone, that kind of stuff, you know, stuff that's so secure, even Apple themselves can't pull this information from your phone. And Samsung has a very similar system. So it does, it does worry me. I mean, this story doesn't provide enough info and I'm sure Samsung's not going to reveal that even if they knew exactly what, but it, it, it's worrisome if somehow someone could get the keys to decrypt the phone that even Samsung couldn't themselves decrypt, for instance. Mm-hmm. So that's always something to uh, look out for. And, you know, that stuff, it, it, if once it ends up on in, in places like the dark web, uh, forget it, then it's, then it's everywhere instantaneously. Um, and uh, speaking of the dark web, uh, that brings me to uh, our... Um, sponsor for this episode, Cyberlytica. These guys are experts in the dark web, not not in the bad way, but in the good way. Uh, they're good guys that uh, spend a lot of time scraping the dark web, looking for um, passwords and emails and all types of credentials that might have been uh, hacked and stolen and, and spread in the dark web. And they'll alert you to... Um, once you sign up for their service, they'll alert you or your, your enterprise, your small business. Every time that stuff appears and they'll, they'll send you warnings and they'll send you, um, you know, uh, solutions for these type of things. And you can, you know, consult with them and, um, you could, most importantly, you can see your profile on the dark web because that's one place where you don't want a big footprint. A big profile is on the dark web. You want to be, yeah. you want to be invisible, but it's almost impossible to be invisible on the dark web because everything, you know, credit card numbers and from, you know, names to credit card numbers are being sold and traded on there. So go to cyberlytica.com today. If you think you've got, you know, any, if there's any chance that you're on there because you want to be uh, forewarned and therefore forearmed. Um, yes, very good. Yeah. And that brings us to our next story, uh, which involves this ongoing cyber war, uh, real war and cyber war, I should say, uh, between uh, Russia and the Ukraine and all the allies on either side. Although I don't think Russia's got too many allies these days. <laughs> Not um, many. <laughs> yeah. But um, one of the allies on Ukraine's side is this kind of global collective known as Anonymous. Um, And the headline reads, Anonymous claimed it hacked Russian TVs and showed the true devastation of Putin's Ukraine invasion. Uh, I I saw this one on Fortune uh, and thought it was interesting because, well, first of all, there were some nice links that takes you, if you go go to Fortune and, and find this headline, you'll see there's a couple of nice links that'll take you directly to some Twitter feeds, people reposting. I think, I think it was ultimately, it was originally uh, posted from uh, Anon's, uh, Anonymous's Twitter feed, and then other people are reposting it, but there's yeah. people shooting their TVs. These are shots coming from Russia primarily. Now, I think that what this was, was kind of a, um, kind of a counter misinformation almost because Russia, Russian TV, from what I hear, I, I, you know, obviously I don't live in Russia. I don't get their feed, so I don't see it, but I'm hearing so many stories about just utter denial that a war is even happening. You know, it's Russian authorities don't want their own people to rise up against them in protest. So they're saying there's nothing's happening, you know, please disperse, go, go look, look the other way. Nothing's going on. And 
anonymous, I guess, is trying to kind of fly the flag of truth and say, hey, why don't we take a look over here? Because you can't deny these graphic images and these are real people being killed for real. And so they apparently they hacked several networks, uh, these Russian streaming services, kind of like our Netflix, uh, mm -hmm. one's called Wink and one's called Ivy or Ivy. Um, these are and, and, and a bunch of uh, conventional kind of pro Kremlin broadcast channels um, like Russia 24 is one of them. And I think a few others. Um, did you, did you see any of these, these hacks or, did, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's all in Russian, so you can only, we can't really yeah. get the, get the full message, but it is, it's something else when you can hack war propaganda to, you know, counter it completely so that oh, the citizens see it. Yeah, this is, this is truly a cat and mouse game, certainly what's going on there. And I think the fact that anonymous, and again, it becomes kind of a political issue and anonymous is. Uh, kind of like a hacktivist group, uh, pseudo vigilante jumping in here and trying to go up against Russia by, by hacking and taking down different services and things, because clearly there is manipulation of the media in Russia and Putin. It does want to send a very clear message um, and watching some of these clips, you can kind of get a, a quick sense of it there. But again, not understanding Russian, uh, it makes it very challenging, but um, and, and just recently, maybe just to add to it, maybe uh, uh, another thought, because it's kind of interesting, people are taking such a strong stand, and this is almost on, from a global community against some of the atrocities of war that Russia is, is allegedly behind. And, and just recently, you probably saw even today that, uh, and, I, and I watched the clip, I was, I was kind of laughing a little bit, that the entire staff of the Russian TV channel, The Rain, they resigned during a live stream and the words at the end, as they all walked out and it had to be 50 people that kind of went past the cameras. They, they said no war. And then they played Swan Lake, Swan Lake uh, ballet video, just like uh, they did on the, the USSR TV channels when it, when it collapsed uh, in the past. So it was kind of a, a very strong statement that they made. And it looks like from a global standpoint, Many uh, countries are getting behind Ukraine, but again, I mean, we're not a, this is not a political podcast, but it's interesting how cyber continually is weaving into the conversation of this war of politics and of government. It's replacing the, the guns and bullets, I keep saying, of many traditional wars, not, not to minimize the, the, the poor damage that's happening over there in Ukraine. But in addition to it, cyber is now becoming a key strategic part of warfare uh, on a global scale now, which is very concerning, I, I know, from, from our standpoint, but really it should be for everybody's because it affects everybody. And things now happen instantly because we are all connected to the Internet and everything is interconnected so we can read about it, hear about it. We could we could vent our frustrations on social media, as some people are doing. But social media can also be manipulated and pulled down. So uh, the issue of, of data privacy and many other things just keep coming into play as well. Yeah. When, when emotions run high, you really start to see some people's true colors and yes. some companies' true colors. And it's, it's, it's kind of scary because I'm hearing, I mean, we're seeing announcements in addition to this. I'm hearing, uh, but I'm hearing stories of uh, uh, people 
you know, hacktivists mm-hmm. or companies kind of pointing the finger and blaming. And a lot of, a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of collateral damage and a lot of innocent people are getting uh, caught in this kind of uh, cyber, yeah, cyber know, crossfire. Cross, exactly. You know, I'm hearing about not just uh, Ukrainian um, civilians getting caught in this, but, you know, you know, innocent Russian civilians, these the citizens mm-hmm. that don't yep. know, they might not know about the war, or maybe they do know about it and think it's terrible. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk about uh, uh, vital infrastructure and services getting cut off. Um, to these people and you know they're not really they're not really part of the game they're not these these wartime chess pieces like you would think they are they're just they're just like anyone else except they happen to have been born in the wrong place at the wrong time um you know and and you mentioned the uh you mentioned the the swan lake uh according to this report they (laughs) said that that some of the uh, air, Russian airwaves rep- reportedly uh, the, the Ukrainian national anthem has been hacked oh to play over the Russian airwaves. So that, that must be driving <laughs> some of those oligarchs crazy. Oh, and, boy. And some of the state yeah. officials and all that stuff. Yeah, it's um, just, just a mess across the board, I think. And But again, cyber keeps coming back into the conversation in, in mm-hmm. all these different angles. And I, I think it, 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 it shouts to all of us that all of us do need to be diligent and do the best we can to kind of keep the house in order, whether you're just a, you know, an average consumer, if you're running a small business, if you work at a large enterprise, we, we all need to protect our personal information. Um, be careful where we're, uh, what, what websites we're visiting, make sure we've got the long, strong passwords using multi-factor authentication, have a good cyber hygiene, especially during all this mess. Or you may be part of the casualties because everybody is now being targeted. So if if you're seeing what's happening is there's a lot of people um, throughout the U.S. government that have been informing people to be on high alert, especially uh, the banking institutions, uh, the critical infrastructure sector. So if our business crosses any of any of those things, which is pretty much everybody, we got to be extra careful. We got to be diligent and and not get uh, cyber complacent, let's say because we could be part of a, a large uh, problem if something's hacked and targeted. Oh yeah. And just some of these stories also on a more, I guess more of a personal note. I, I, I remember when the, the Berlin wall came down and the, the kind of dissolution of the Soviet union, C- could you imagine if the internet was around at that, at that time oh, and it. cyber warfare was a thing, it would, you know, my, my takeaways from those days were, um, uh, David Hasselhoff dancing on the Berlin Wall and singing, yep. <laughs> and 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 the famous uh, you know speech Reagan you know Mr. Gorbachev yes. tear down that wall tear it down yeah that yeah. those are like the takeaways there there would be like thousands of takeaways if something like that dramatic happened today you know yes. that affected the U S and so many other countries so I think we're just we're seeing the very tip of these. Uh, images and stories coming out so even if this war lasts another week or month or year uh, you know i think we're going to see we're just going to see thousands more of these small and big items coming from these uh, news outlets yeah absolutely and i was thinking about it um oftentimes when things are happening even though we hear of things almost immediately with social media and the news um, sometimes companies 
and organizations don't know they've been hacked. And what do I mean by that is every morning I, I, I do the headlines on um, cybercrime radio and there's, there's a breach every day. There's hundreds of breaches every day, but, but I have one key breach that stands out that I report on. And, and just about every one of them, I'm reporting on something that they just found out about the, the breach today. It's breaking news. If the breach actually happened weeks or months ago, and they just realized that somebody was in their network and all that time it took for them to, you know, move around the network laterally and steal data and steal passwords and uh, account information, so on and so forth. So a lot of the damage is done over a period of time when hackers get in. But to my point, you don't realize it. Companies don't realize it because they're business as usual and they're, fo- they're not focused on checking their network and, and, and testing for vulnerabilities and trying to penetrate it and doing, you know, things that could actually aggravate it to find those vulnerabilities, expose them so they could shore them up. So companies need to really think about that and do a better job to make sure that they're shoring up their networks because you don't want to be a, 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 a statistic. And uh, it takes a long time before a proper forensics investigation is done through the network. So you actually have an idea of what really happened. So there's that weird lapse in time. I'm seeing it again and again with every one of these breaches that I'm reporting on. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of breaches and forensics, we've uh, be, um, I don't want to neglect to mention uh, this episode is sponsored by Cyberlytica and they look at precisely that they're they're looking at they're looking out for breaches you know proactively that's why their their uh slogan is proactive cybercrime intelligence because they want to get ahead of the problem before it hits you in your business so visit uh cyberlytica.com for more and uh that brings us to our uh, third story here uh i thought we'd mix it up and um do something sort of positive we do so many negative stories this kind of it makes you feel a little good although of course it comes from a bad place originally but it's a it's a good reaction to a bad thing and that is that uh uh so far three cybersecurity companies have offered free protection to u.s hospitals and uh uh, those companies are cloudflare crowdstrike and ping identity um i think they offered uh uh, the the story I got from a Washington Post, and in in there, it said I think it said four months of uh, free services, because um, what they're what I guess what they're trying to do is they're they're really worried that uh, the U.S. is going to face retaliation from Russian hackers, and surely we are in in some form. I don't it, nothing's happened yet that I've heard nothing large enough to really put everyone uh, you know on a, on full alert. So these companies. You know, good on them. They stepped forward and said, yeah. we're going to proactively look at our most vulnerable uh, things in infrastructure. And that's the hospitals, the power and the water. They determined were the three main things. And we're going to offer uh, free protection to these guys for you know several months because I guess they're predicting, you know, for the next several months, we're going to be at cyber war with Russia. And so they're going to be throwing all types of things at us. And the last thing you want is something as important as, you know, clean water to go bad or not come at all. You don't want no power. We know what that, that becomes like a, a fight for your life yeah, when yeah. you don't have power and hospitals, you know, we saw a little bit of that when COVID patients overran hospitals, 
and that's just normal medical stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, imagine the whole hospital being shut down or ransomware being demanded for the hospital. We've seen those stories too. Um, what do you think you've, you've spoken to many, uh, audiences over the years at events and stuff, all about these, the infrastructure and the the importance of maintaining infrastructure. Do you, do you think this is the right call for these companies to, to do this? So they did, you know, the right, uh, infrastructure to protect. Absolutely. And, and, and kudos to them that they've, um, got the guts to do this, that they've got the, um, I, I guess finances to do it because it costs money, it costs resources. And, and these are obviously, um, companies doing very well in the world of cybersecurity, Cloudflare, everybody's heard of, and, and certainly Ping Identity, CrowdStrike is, is one that I certainly like, and it's led by uh, George Kurtz. He's the CEO, but he's also the founder, and their, their name is often um, out there because they do so much with threat intelligence, uh, cyber attacks, endpoint security. They really know what they're doing. They've been around enough. They're on, you know, on, the, on the stock market, but these companies, again, I would say thank you to them. And maybe they're setting a trend and some other cybersecurity companies may step up and work closer with uh, CISA and other uh, U.S. government organizations to make make it a safer place and to fight back. Because I've always said in the past few years, interview after interview, I said, we need to do more, bring the, the, the public and private sectors together, sharing information with the government and the government sharing information with with big tech companies to work together to fight against the cyber criminals. Cause if you go in the dark web, there's a lot of free information. There's a lot of knowledge base and videos and how to, and, and customer support bad guys, helping bad guys. Well, the good guys aren't doing that enough. So this is a really positive step. I think taking it forward and, and sharing these best practices in the world of cyber, but to especially this area of, of uh, being that's being targeted. We know hospitals, they're being targeted. Critical infrastructure has been targeted and will continue to be targeted and they are very vulnerable. And and that I think affects our lives. When we hear about, you know, the other week McDonald's was hacked. Um, We hear about other companies, large name companies, we're concerned. But if if you go for a week and you can't have your hamburger, you're going to make do, you'll survive. But guess what? If you're in a hospital and maybe the ER or you're getting critical care and the hospital goes down and it could mean your life. And we've already talked about ransomware cases where they've had to hospitals have been locked down out of their networks. and They've had to turn people away in the process. People have died. So it's affecting lives. Critical infrastructure affects our lives every single day with clean water and sewer and electric and everything else. So I, I just think it's, it's really nice to see the positive, as you mentioned, in the world of cyber. It's not all negative. People can make a difference and companies can make a difference when they do great stuff like this. Yeah, it's great to see, like you said, it's great to see private entities coming forth. You know, it's one thing for politicians to make speeches and rally yeah. the citizens. Um, and it's another thing for social media to just, you know, create engagement by creating controversy. And, you know, it might be for good cause, but in the end, they're just trying to get more clicks, of course. But these companies are stepping up and that's great to see. Uh, one thing I do want to mention that they they did clarify in the Washington Post that uh, Cloudflare um, technically, they haven't. They've cut off all new business with Russia, but they're mm-hmm. still maintaining 
business. Apparently, they do a lot of uh, business uh, for these, you know, bigwig oligarchs and and yeah. Russian companies. So they're they're in a very awkward position. You know, they if more, I, I suspect if more of these cybersecurity firms take a stance against Russia, they'll probably cave and follow suit. Um, but yes. right now, I think they're kind of holding their ground and saying like, well, we don't know where this is going to go exactly. So let's not, you know, totally kill. Let's not burn every bridge that we have. Um, but it's still good to see, you know, we see there's so many stories about these um, companies, uh, you know, shutting down people. And, it, you know, mm -hmm. there's there's vague kind of free speech issues all intertwined with this stuff and they're they're trying to silence people for one reason or another usually it's petty stuff it's you know kind of political stuff um but it's nice to see the other side of the coin when a private company can do something good and not get a you know an obvious there's no obvious benefit for these companies yes. they're just they're just giving free stuff yes they're getting the publicity but hopefully that publicity will bring more companies on board to do the same thing um because you know the it could end up being the only way that this war uh, stops is that uh, putin putin just gets so much uh, criticism and pressure mm -hmm. from these large russian companies and and russian billionaires that he has to withdraw and, and give up. You know? Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think anytime it hits anyone's pocket, people react. If, if you got to pay extra taxes, when tolls go up, when anything goes up, look at gasoline. That's probably the most watched and followed number that affects everybody's pocket directly, perhaps unless you have an electric vehicle. Um that 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 people get upset when you hear how high the gas prices are and when you go to fill up your gas guzzling suv like i have and it's well over a hundred dollars you go you start to think twice and say wow okay yeah can you do it once or twice sure but a prolonged over a year or going forward you start to think differently and say maybe i don't need to drive an inefficient vehicle anymore Maybe I should consider an electric vehicle. You know, your mindset changes when it affects your, your pocket. So I think the same thing will happen to your point with Putin. It's affecting his pocket. It's affecting his cronies pockets. And it's going to probably effectuate a change more than just about anything else that could be done around the globe. You can give him sanctions. He could yawn. He's got sanctions before he'll get them again. Um, you could threaten him. It doesn't seem like he changes his 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 game plan unless it really hits his pocket. And I guess the, the jury's out. We'll see shortly if it does have effect. But mm -hmm. it sure would nice to see this end because um, I think too many innocent people are dying. It doesn't they're not even part of the war. They're just victims, be, be it uh, not just Ukrainians. They're getting the brunt of it, obviously. And I feel terrible there. But even even innocent Russian citizens they probably don't even want a war and they're not even supporting Putin yet. They're just there because of, you know, geographically they're kind of branded or stamped e either way, kill killing people in a war. This with these atrocities is just terrible. And, and it's got to stop. Yeah, agreed. Um, well, I guess that wraps up our stories for this episode. Um, before we sign out, do you want to, uh, plug anything? Do you have Do you have any upcoming uh, gigs or or uh, articles, Just, uh, interviews, anything? Doing a lot of a lot of articles. Um, I am I'm doing some um, 
judging for actually two different um, uh, cybersecurity related matters. I'll be sharing that once I can make it more public, but honored to be selected as a judge there and more, more is forthcoming. Um, and, and then also I'm looking forward to an in-person um, show at RSA, doing some interviews and stuff there, working with uh, uh, Cybersecurity Ventures, Cybercrime Magazine, and uh, excited to be in RSA San Francisco for the, the duration of that event in person. And I think there's a virtual tie-in too for people that can't make it or are a little nervous, which, which I always appreciate. Um, so that there's going to be some exciting stuff there. I know when I was last at the last live RSA, it was just, just jam-packed and there was so much going on um, that uh, it's probably the one of the, the most uh, anticipated security events of the year. But it's interesting because normally it's in, you know, end of February, beginning of March timeframe, but it shifted to the beginning of June because of the pandemic right. and, and travel and, and all the other stuff. So it's, it's good to see things are lightening up, getting better. And, and I'm looking forward to doing that show and just doing a lot of, a lot of interviews, a lot of uh, writing and a lot of stuff all over the map in, in the world of cyber. Most of it just tied to, to Ukraine and Russia though, and, and cyber hacks. That's the, the still the hottest topic going on out there. Yeah. I imagine it's going to be hot. It, who knows? It, it might still be the hot topic into RSA, you know, could, uh, could be. Show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I've been doing a lot, a lot of podcasts. I did I think three different podcasts this week. And it's interesting, even though the, the focus of the podcast, they wanted me on to talk about senior cyber. Another one was our second book, uh, cybersecurity is everybody's business. Uh, in, in those discussions, they, they wanted me to weigh in on my thoughts about cybersecurity and the war over there in Ukraine. It, it's just a hot topic mm -hmm. and people like to get feedback and, and get different feelings from different people. Yeah. Well, we'll be, I'm sure we'll be covering it as a hot topic in the coming weeks and months. Yeah. And, um, just one last time, I'll mention that uh, this episode was sponsored by uh, Cyberlytica, providing proactive cybercrime intelligence. Uh, you want to get over to cyberlytica.com and learn more about all their things. But until next week, this is Craig signing out from the West Coast. All right. And thanks, everybody, for listening in. This is Scott Schober signing out from the East Coast. Have a good one. Stay safe. Stay safe. safe. Over.